Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 39 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. I'm so pleased to have with us today Mr Jim Glover. Jim has been involved in Enterprise Excellence for over 30 years, coaching and leading organisations to Shingo Prizes. Let's get into the episode. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Brad. Mate, Jim, what's what's your backstory, mate? What what got you into this field and up and going continuous improvement? I suppose it's a long one, Brad, really. Uh, yeah, growing up in like Birmingham, I suppose, Birmingham in the UK, um, factories were kind of in my blood. My mum and dad worked in the car industry, SU carburetors for all those people who know about old cars, but when they had carburetors, that was. And, you know, I, they worked in factories and I knew that there's plenty of people I knew that worked in either the Rover or the car industry. So it was part of the culture, really. Yeah. Oh. My, dad, my dad was my hero, right? My dad was my, he worked in, a, in personnel and which we called HR today. And yeah, he, he was thoroughly involved in that. And I kind of picked up and they pushed me towards a, an apprenticeship. And that's where I suppose I got my early, really early learnings. Wow. So it was like part of your DNA, mate. You were just in there in the thick of it from the moment you can remember. Absolutely. I could even smell the, the sump oil on, on my mum's hands who used to work in that's uh, of sump oil all day long. You could smell it. It was, yeah, it's part of what, what uh, developed you as a kid back then in, in, in the 70s. Wow. And mate, how... Like you are there in the heart heartland of manufacturing, automotive all around you. What was it, mate, that led you to discover this these concepts? I guess coming out of um, out of Japan or continuous improvement in general, mate. Well, well, it wasn't the early days, but I suppose what I learned back there was these basic disciplines. I worked really what was a, a great culture under great leadership especially in the early apprentice days and when I used to work in different factories. It's a bit corny, but you, yeah, you respected your elders. You wore a tie and blazer to work. Yeah. You called the instructor, sir. Yeah, and in exchange, they just gave you hell. And mind-numbing on our disciplines and repetitive tasks, but it built in you a resilience. It, it, it was a good job, um, Ultimately, it was very much predictable and programmed. And, yeah, but, but it was such a great grounding and learning to, to the basics and understand how work, how to appreciate how people did work for those who had to do it. Yeah. How they were motivated and, and otherwise. So it was a fantastic grounding. Yeah. Sounds, Jim, like there was a strong focus on process in, in that trade where you're working like you mentioned it was repetitive but it sounds like there was a strong focus on process and precision with it absolutely absolutely and i suppose back in the uk um 
the discipline ultimately if you worked in the car industry or especially if you're providing first tier parts to the likes of Toyota, Nissan and Honda, they injected the di discipline. And I suppose in many ways, uh, Toyota saved my life or saved my career because wow. they were the ones that were, in fact, they're actually brutal. They're insistent that continuous improvements and standard work and those basic fundamentals of stability were just drummed into everybody who um, provided parts to to them so i learned so much they simply dragged me through just in time and tps to always standardize and always improve to banish waste to understand what it is and boy oh boy it changed my life because instead of uh, a young apprentice or a young manager running around in a field not really knowing how to motivate people this was the one thing this was the one thing that really captivated my, me mate Wow. And, and I don't think I've ever looked back. Yeah. Changed my life. Yeah. Jim, it's amazing, isn't it? Like you're, you're talking um, a number of years ago. You and I aren't young young men. Yeah, far, far too many than I wish to remember, mate. <laughs> but man, when you think about it, here was Toyota experts and specialists in TPS going to their suppliers and helping their suppliers grow and develop because they knew that their suppliers played a large part in the flow of value. And Jim, if we turn the clock forward to where we are now, there's not that many organizations nowadays that are skilled at that today. You know, mostly we're focused on just trying to really get control and get some continuous improvement going inside our own four walls. Whereas back from your early days, you had Toyota in there helping you as a supplier to drive continuous improvement and improve. Yes, that's, that's so true. Um, again, I turn myself into what you probably call it back then, as an industrial engineer, to pay attention to the work, to pay attention to people doing the work, to really, I suppose, analyse and scrutinise the work. I grew up in the world of like standard work combination tables and Kanban and weird and wonderful Japanese terms like Yamazumi and Kamishibai and things like that, but it's all about the work and how to basically inspire people to get the most out of the work. To, to, to mine their ideas and it was and it's so rare now but it's something that I suppose again I still have ambition for because customers want that kind of thing they probably don't know that they want that kind of thing but the outcomes and the benefits and the quality and the kind of things that uh, it inspires is something pretty special so um driving or coaching towards images of what that can be absolutely motivate me every single day. Yeah, it's, it's massive, isn't it? Like it's so impressive when you talk about it. Yeah, who are some people that have inspired you along the way, mate? Like through this journey, who are some people that really stood out in your mind? Well, I still get very, very excited about some of the greats, that the John Shooks and... Um, the Jeff Flykers and the Mike Rothers and some of those guys that still excites me how they explain perhaps the sophisticated concept with such elegance and ease. Back, back in the day, uh, I always remember uh, a general manager of mine called Ray, Wayne Brownhill. He was just a genius looking back. He'd be able to do, uh, uh, 
take me to an A3. It's just so naturally in terms of explaining, breaking down problems, visualizing the opportunities in front of me. Really inspired me. He probably, he probably wouldn't even know he was inspiring me as much as he kind of did. But I, I, it's, it's always in the bank. It'll always um, something to draw upon when I have a problem in front of me or a people issue or something like that. Yeah, it, there, there are many people along the way. That's best practice, isn't it, Jim? When you've got the leader who is the continuous improvement leader, like that's impressive. So he's inspiring and motivating you at the same time as being an expert coach, it sounds like. It's everything, It's everything, Brad. Uh, we've all got a tool boat. We all know how to do value stream mapping. The tools are out there, but it's, it's the leadership uh, that makes everything change. It inspires everything. It can inflate people. It's like the best teachers. Leadership can bring this stuff to life. And if they don't, they miss an opportunity to really connect with the people who work so hard. Yeah. Jim, the thing that amazes me on that topic too, mate, is is how quickly you can see a culture transform and performance increase when a leader really engages and starts to improve and become a better coach or start to implement strategy deployment better and cultural deployment or some of these key systems that we know we need boy, you can get rapid change. And on other cases, you do see it when one leader leaves and another one comes in who's already high performance and you can get this instant acceleration. Do you see that? Oh, absolutely. Um, but it comes with um, leadership, I suppose, looking to reinvent itself, questioning how uh, they connect with the people who they lead, uh, really thinking to understand the work going to the Gemba, that's what they talk about, but it's true. Uh, standing toe-to-toe with a guy who, or, or, or the girl, has to do the work every day, truly being present and listening. And when that happens, magic happens. Or it can happen if it's authentic and genuine and regular and consistent. Yeah, people then start to learn, well, that's how, that's my role as a leader. That's the role which... It's my job. So sometimes that comes to people, but sometimes when they find it uh, themselves, it's a, it can be an amazing transformation. And I've seen it many times, mate. Um, again, I'm, again, I keep saying I'm lucky. But I say it a lot because I really mean it. I find myself in incredible situations, whether it be the Shingo thing or when people wanted to to read back that as a concept and that my ability to coach towards yeah yeah now, you know, i know you and i've been talking and i know you are focused on building a stable platform supporting everyday continuous improvement and i think your specialty really mate i could see throughout your career is in large-scale companies but how do you how do you go about building that stable platform for continuous improvement to be able to drive performance and help the company really grow culturally yeah, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish there was a kind of a silver bullet answer. Yeah, there's no silver um, bullet, is there? <laughs> Unfortunately. There really, really isn't. But uh, I suppose as I get older and the grey starts to um, accelerate, um, I suppose the more I learn about the sophisticated and complicated tools in continuous improvement, the more I go back to the basics. 
Um, it really is about a number of fundamental guiding principles and the things that maybe I learned back when I was an apprentice, but they really are the, the hard yards, the hard yards of every day uh, presenting on a live visual information to people, having them actually um, uh, tap into what happened, what happened yesterday, what's going on and what can they impact. Yeah, that's so important. Information needs to be brought to the people who can do something about it. So visual systems and a visual factory to identify how people can make better decisions is the first thing. That triggers the opportunity to see waste, to see problems. And then that core skill, that core skill that I believe is lost many times is the ability to do, to problem solve, to root cause down to the systemic reason why that waste is happening, that gap occurred, these losses are happening. And then, again, the third thing, we have a bit of a saying that it's like a bit of a tripod, three things, daily visual management systems, problem solving and root cause at all levels, and then the absolute importance of creating standards, standardised work, and it's everyday confirmation. That as a lens, then for further improvement, and uh, I suppose if you're, if you're going back to the granddaddy of every everything lean and CPS, oh no, might even agree with me, or teach only would have said, no standard work, no improvement. Again, if you look at a workplace or you look at somebody working, if you're looking through that lens of standardised process, all the waste jumps out to you, all the problems, all the opportunities for improvement. You apply that picture back to the person doing the work, you'll ignite their ideas. They'll bring them to you. Give them the opportunity then to have a, have a say in how their work can be made easier and better by really listening. That's the basis. Now, I said before, that's no silver bullet. It seems intuitive perhaps those are the real hard yards and I'm convinced it's that kind of environment that that's for continuous improvement if we can create that um mate, it, uh, it it makes the difference I mean as I said before it's the difference between um inflating people and their ability to really buy into their work every day or deflating people and, and have them work in broken processes. So yeah. as you can see, I'm really passionate about that. I, and, I, and I suppose that's my vision point and that's what drives me on. I, I like it, Jim. It's, it's so succinct what you put forward there. Mate, What could you describe what that looks like, what good looks like there, or even a case example where you, you've had a site where they've had good visual management, they've had they've what happens when they go into root cause and then also the standard work, mate? What? What, what's an example where you're like, this is what good look like? The- well, um, a recent example whereby, I suppose, in collaboration with a general manager, we decided to go after spoilage, spoilage on the shop floor. We, we decided we're going to actually go after it. We were not going to tolerate it. So basically what we did, we started every day capturing what was hurting us, understanding, going 
going to the Gemba every day, understanding what was driving this spoilage, this, uh, I suppose, poor quality every day, working with the guys who had to live with it, stack it, store it, expedite it, whatever, um, put it into piles, work with it, starting to get to know it. That turned into a daily visual management forum for a group of people that were really focused then on, instead of going on long training courses to learning about problem solving, just getting into it and doing it every single day and being persistent and picking our battles and identifying what we could change, what were the root causes behind what we were seeing. And then as we were doing that, yeah, baking in what we learned in terms of the solution and countermeasures and then confirming that we were still following that every day. So this process started sluggishly, but we're persistent. We had that vision to say, we're going to persist with this. We're going to do this every day. We're going to actually do this as a, as a coaching forum every single day. And I was, I was blown over by the fact that every day we both turned up and the leadership team turned up to pay attention. Over time, people, pennies started to drop, light bulbs started to, to go on, and all of a sudden we started to get some momentum and that persistence, and that persistence really, really paid off. And, and over time, people started to get it. People knew that the leadership team were there and present, authentic and consistent. And you can guarantee that, um, that, that the guys who said they care turned up and demonstrated they care every single day. The change was astronomical. Over time, we, I mean hit the bottom line as well that that was that was again the the financial benefit but how it changed the environment and how it created that continuous improvement environment was just profound so again we use that as, as i suppose a lighthouse now to point to that's what can happen when leadership decides to take a different focus on some of the basics yeah jim i really love two elements i love in that mate i love the learning by doing you know, they, so often we send a whole bunch of people on training and really it, it, how much value comes after it two weeks later where you've been hands-on there learning by doing and coaching as we go, but then also the leadership support piece you spoke about. It sounds like there was a good challenging goal there too. It sounds like everyone clearly knew what the target was to go after. Absolutely, but it was something previously that I suppose was just so hidden in a budget line item somewhere that, that really wasn't made apparent or wasn't escalated um, to the people who could do something about it. One of my absolute heroes, I think I mentioned him before, John Shook, who's now, I think, the chairman of LEI, he said, you've really got to act your way to a new way of thinking. Now, when he said that, first of all, I didn't get that. I probably didn't even listen to it closely enough acting your way to a new way of thinking. It's absolutely profound. You just got to get in and do this and trust in the principles, whether it's 14 guiding principles from Toyota, you got to trust to them, but you've got to get your hands, you've got to learn with your hands, as I think Ono said as well, rather than the other way around, just, just on a PowerPoint your way towards uh, improvement. And he's right. You really do become what you practice and do every day. 
and not what you simply preach. So that again, profound learnings. I mean that. I mean that was uh, a reinforcement of something that I just hold so dear. But to to work with great leaders to make that happen on shop floors, not special, not special people, uh, just just factory guys learning new things. It was a privilege, mate. Yeah. Yeah, well done. That's such a great example. Jim, here's a question relating to that, mate, but what do you see stops organizations achieving that? Because what you described, it's not difficult. It's 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 really it seems a simple approach, but I'm sure it's not simple and easy to do. But what stops organizations achieving it, mate, would you say? I think preconceived ideas about how important the guy doing the work uh, are. Sometimes, of course, we get oh so busy. Unfortunately, the last 12 months has, for some, taken us away from that, the Gemba, that shop face, that interaction with the guys who do the work. People think maybe it's more important to be in a meeting to talk about something that happens on a shop floor somewhere else. People, lost, people have lost that ability to really use... Um, that platform and and that interactivity to understand what really is happening um and i think if we don't pay attention to that and it's all too easy to focus on the pnl sheet or budget items or try to um tame the dragon from the wrong end if you know what i mean um it's also easy to fall into that trap um maybe it's because the finance guys don't measure culture on their balance sheet like that. Uh, maybe it's because governments um, don't recognise that as an important, um, a super important way to actually generate wealth and growth. Maybe it's those and maybe more reasons, but it's not easy. Uh, and it's not intuitive at certain levels, but it, boy, oh boy, is it so important. Yeah. It's quite, I was just, as you were talking through that, you know, I was just, thinking about how we interpret Gemba as the real place. And that word, the real place, it's so relevant to what you're just saying. You know, we could spend all our time sitting in the boardroom, meeting our peers or looking over the balance sheet and getting stressed about certain lines. Or we could put more time in going to the real place where we can actually make a difference that's going to sustain for a long time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm convinced the answers are out there. Finally, we kind of open our eyes and allow ourselves to really, really think about what will make a difference. What are, the, what are leading indicators rather than just constantly looking at those lagging indicators? Yeah. It's all out there. We've just got to give a, back ourselves and give ourselves permission to fail at that as well because it's, it's not a normal thing to do for, for so many people. And, and you get better at it and you fail at it and you yeah. go again. But if you, you approach it with humility and authenticity, people will forgive you. The guy on the shop floor will forgive the, the, the leader who's trying to do his best to understand the work to make it easier for him as long as he's trying or her, she's trying. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'm just thinking too, Jim, with what you're saying is if, if you think back to the time when you and I grew up, we things were produced a lot more, right? So a lot more to create value, you had to make something a lot more, you had to get your hands dirty. Whereas you turn the clock forward now, we live in a lot more of a virtual world 
where to do stuff, it's all being done remotely. And do we always have to actually produce something or do, are we connected with that producing something capability? Like, is it, it seems like to me, like it's getting a bit worse at the minute, not getting better with our ability to go to the Gemba, understand the real place and embrace frontline people and really understand them and then help coach and work with them to create tangible outcomes. What's your thoughts on that? I think you're right. I think it's such an immediate, people are looking for immediate gratification. Just download the app and make it better, right? Or people want to be famous overnight. People want things without understanding the hard yards of how they come to be. And I think, yeah, I, I do think it's getting worse. I think people can, again, have a problem and all they do is reach, let's, let's, let's go for a meeting rather than, really seek to understand what the purpose, what we're actually trying to achieve. Yeah, and I, and I think when we do that, we, again, just like inventory, it just hides waste and it hides the value and it hides this constant busyness. My calendar's not getting any less cluttered, but am I getting any more effective or, or, or am I learning more? And I think when you... <clears throat> have this uh, such an available and a throwaway world these days, you miss those fundamentals, you do. And yeah, my, my, my vision to the future is that we actually go back to basics, we relearn what we should have done because I, I believe in manufacturing, I really do. I think it's how, how we create wealth and, and a homegrown manufacturing industry. And I think I've, I've seen the demise of, demise of two in the UK and and unfortunately here in Australia, uh, that it's so precious that you need to protect it. And, and I think if even, even governments actually start to listen and seek to understand the importance and the economic impact of enterprise excellence and lean um, and supported it properly, I, I think we might, unless, well, if we don't, we're missing a trick. Yeah, it'll manufacturing will continue to disappear from countries like australia yeah absolutely and it's not just okay that we think we can offshore these things or delegate these things or, or all the problems will go away if we just put them in a call center somewhere it, again it's just kidding itself and and it's something that we need to again old sweats need to educate people better way than that yeah oh jim i've seen that done many a time as a short-term silver bullet to make the PL look good but Funny enough, it ends up dropping off a cliff typically another year or two down the track. Perhaps. You've given me some good insights here today, mate. I really appreciate it. But mate, what, what's a recent insight that you've had, a recent learning that you didn't have before? Tell you what, a, a series of recent insights, um, especially having kids, kids growing up in the burbs and um, how well they're coached. If we could take just a puff teeth of that, the messages how, especially in Australia, when they have to punch way above their weight in terms of sport and sporting prowess, um, the quality of coaching that's out there that we just don't tap into in uh, in industry or in our organisations. Fantastic people that, based on a common goal and direction, get 
heaps out of people because they listen, they they coach. Uh, I suppose, especially young young people, how to get the best out of themselves. If we could only learn from that and apply it in the workplace, we get we create a different workplace where we can inspire people. And uh, yeah, I see it in local footy, club cricket. Every weekend, I see inspirational coaches. Um, yeah, which again, why not in the workplace too? Yeah, so I suppose. I've learned that I suppose that capability and that leadership uh, and those I suppose those qualities that are in people, we've just got to ignite them in things in areas that can add value and add wealth uh, and uh, and uh, and grow things as well. Yeah, Jim, I so believe in what you're talking. Like a lot of the listeners will know by now, I have a background in what you know sales and you know, office based improvement too, and. Like I look at what a coach in sport has to do. You know, they've got a goal. They need to work with people. They need to help those people achieve their best because by doing that, they'll achieve the goal at the end of the year. They need to be there where the practice is happening. They need to be there where the game's happening. Learn, take that learning, help people learn. Like That is no different to what you and I are talking about in organizations, is it? It absolutely isn't, Brad. It really isn't. And and I think of... Like the great All Black, apologies to all Australians out there, but the great All Black coaches, Ian Foster, Steve Hansen, John Buchanan, those kind of guys, uh, they talk about respect uh, and with a glance, they can get the best out of different people. Look at looking at how people best respond um, to motivation, the ability to create magic. But I suppose in that case, being surrounded by that that, that that wonderful culture that the All Blacks uh, and the All Black coaching team engender into people. I think that's amazing. The fact that they do clean their own boots, they won't allow people to pick, pick up behind them. I think, again, such a rich learning source that's just on our doorstep, so apparent that sometimes we seem to switch it off when we go into the workplace yeah jim i've one of my favorite coaches of all time is wayne bennett he's in rugby league and bennett if i summarize it i think bennett has an absolute care for every player he will care for that player outside of work as much as he cares for them in work but then if they break a behavior so every team he coaches they know the behaviors they've got the behaviors and if one of these players that he cares for outside of work and comes into work at the coaching session and he or she displays the wrong behavior, Bennett will deal with it too. You know, I remember he'd just come back to the Broncos after being away, Thigh Day. Thigh Day turned up and had his mobile phone on and turned up late and he got benched for the first game of the season. And this is like one of your key players. So it's, a, I think Bennett has a wonderful yin and yang of, absolutely caring for his players you know he'll be in hospitals and on different events with their family members he'll be helping some of them mentally but then it's there's work and there's work and there's outside and oh he's a he's amazing in my view yeah my, i i must admit my personal knowledge of rugby league is very very limited but i absolutely know what so he set a behavioral standard which if he dropped he'd tell every one of 
the rest of his team precisely how ingenuous he was to it. So the last thing he would ever do, I'm assuming, would drop that standard. You, you know, that, yeah. that bar which said, no, everybody needs to listen. You're not more important than anybody else just because you've got a mobile phone and yeah. decided to ring. So, again, when you've got leadership that are, are as brave and as consistent and as authentic as that, boy, oh, boy, they can take them anywhere. Yeah, and Jim, he, he's proved it. He rocks up. He's been in a lot of different teams the last 10 years. And invariably, he turns up in a new team and they get to the finals or they get right near it or they win it. The results are there. And same with the All Blacks. Like, the results are there, aren't they? Like, it's like you don't need any more proof. And all his players know what that standard is. It's almost like he's there on their shoulder informing basic decision-making, right? Basic decision-making is that um, is that good enough for the code or, or or the standard I've set for myself? When you've got that, I suppose that internal monologue that's that's anchored in something that's right, it helps you. It sorts you. It's like faith. It drives you on. And uh, if if it's anchored in something that's respectful, right? And I suppose that's one of the things that again, what 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 would the right thing to do B and how can I be consistent and true to that standard? Again, people notice, people follow people like that. And uh, again, the great leaders engender followers precisely because of that. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that conversation, Jim. Yeah, I learned a bit about uh, rugby league as well. Yeah. Um, Jim, how, how can people reach out to you? Well, I'm around. I've been around a while, as I say. There's a lot of years, I suppose, in the, um, the I suppose, the Victorian uh, lean community. Um, we get involved in a best practice network. Um, I, I'm quite happy for people to actually uh, use your forum if there's any blog on the on the back of that to to reach out or or have a vent or or just have a conversation about uh, again. If they're, in, if they're in the hole and they don't understand which way to get out, that's what I try to do. I, I try to make myself available for that. Um, I'll learn something in the process and maybe if I can help somebody and I think of something in a different way uh, which helps them, um, my, my door is always open. I, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a passionate guy for it. It's, it's not work. It's an absolute pleasure and it's it's my passion too, so uh, yeah. Yeah, um, lovely. Pl- please extend just an open door. Yeah, and Jim, we will put some elements out through LinkedIn, and I know you've got a good LinkedIn um, set up established, so we'll we'll post that through. So, Jim, thank you for helping us create a better world, and thank you for helping us create a better future by sharing knowledge on this podcast, mate. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. The first key takeaway for me from this episode was the power of learning by doing at the front line where value is created. It doesn't matter if your front line is a sales team, finance team in an office, software development or warehouse team, the same applies. Spending time where value for customers is created, learning by doing with the frontline team is extremely powerful. Jim gave some great insights on how to go about this. Make it visual, understand the root cause, standardize work 
and coach and practice with the team as frequently as possible, focused on a challenging goal. The second key takeaway for me was a conversation with Jim on the quality of some of our sporting coaches, both in the big leagues and also weekend sport with our children. The skills these coaches have built around focusing on their team on a challenging goal, motivating them towards this is amazing. They learn by observing where the sport is being played, both in coaching and during game time, and help each player reach their potential to ultimately help the team. They lead culture and behavior, both good and bad, to sustain and improve teamwork. It is a truly impressive outcome that can be achieved. There is so much we can learn from these coaches that would help our own organizations. Thanks again, Jim. Bye for now.